A new crisis has gripped world trade and the global shipping industry. Rising tension in the region and the supply chain after increased attacks on cargo ships in the Red Sea. Now, shipping companies are berating for weeks of disruption to their normal routes after several of them announced they would avoid passing through the Red Sea. This follows multiple attacks on shipping by Yemen-based Houthi rebels. A couple of days ago, the Maersk Shipping Container Company and Hapag Lloyd both announced they wouldn't be making that transit. They've since been joined by other shipping companies. The fact that this is going to create more issues for their supply chains, more issues for their fuel consumption. You have to imagine that they are very concerned. They are suspending the transit of oil through the straits into the Red Sea. Well, investors keeping close watch on oil prices as more companies reroute trade away from the Red Sea. The United States is leading a new international task force of 10 countries to protect commercial ships in the Red Sea. And the longer the war in Gaza drags on, the possibility that the Red Sea corridor will be shut remains a very real possibility. The naval menace threatens to inflate the Israel-Hamas war into a global economic problem. A group of Yemeni, Iran-backed militants called Houthis are attacking ships passing through the Suez Canal in the Red Sea. The attacks are supposedly on Israel and in support of Palestine. But very little Israeli cargo actually passes through this route. The ships in danger belong to other countries across the world, from the US to Hong Kong. Now, about 12% of globally traded goods, 9% of the world's oil shipments, 4% of LNG imports, and most critically, 30% of container ships carrying cargo ranging from gems and jewelry to textiles and machine parts passes through this canal. Toll from ships crossing the passage actually helps in sustaining the economy of Egypt. Now, because of these attacks, three of the world's biggest container shippers and a global oil super major have said they will avoid the canal. Instead, they'll take a long detour around the southern tip of Africa through the Cape of Good Hope. What does a long detour mean? It means more transit time, more transportation costs, more shipping charges. And warfare means a hike in insurance premiums on ships. If this is prolonged, the delayed shipments will mean a disruption in production cycles for exporters and importers. And all of this could deepen pressures of inflation that's already squeezing the world. India, which imports edible oils, steel and machine parts and exports gems, jewellery and textiles through this route, will be impacted too. So, how deep is this crisis? How long before it decisively disrupts global trade? Is it time to think of a global supply chain overhaul as the Suez Canal becomes more and more problematic? The US and 10 countries are mounting an offensive against the Houthi militants. How effective will that be and how will they maintain the balance between geopolitics, trade and security? Also, can India, which has better relations with Iran than the West, be part of the solution? All this and more in today's episode. It's the 22nd of December. I'm your host Anirban Chaudhary and this is The Morning Brief.
I have with me Christian Rolofs, founder and CEO of global online marketplace Container Exchange and one of the foremost global voices of the industry. Joining him is my colleague, arguably India's most prolific shipping and logistics reporter, P. Manoj. Hi, Christian. A very warm welcome to The Morning Brief. And Manoj, welcome again. Hi, Anirban. Uh, great, to, great to be here. Hi, Anirban. It's nice to be on the show once again. Manoj, would you call this a crisis? Anirban, the issue there in the Red Sea area and uh, the Suez Canal is critical from the point of view of the quantum of global trade transiting that area. Some 12% of global trade transits through the Suez Canal. So to that extent, it's got huge, huge impact on global trade. Basically, whatever cargo is going to the West, to Europe and US from Asia, transits through that key artery. This is the most shortest route to the West. So I think if prolongs, it can escalate into a big, big issue because, you know, the ripple effect of that will be, you know, felt all over the globe. And um, we will genuinely have a crisis if it prolongs further. Christian, I'd like to come to you now. Container Exchange had, as early as October, warned about disruptions in the Suez Canal due to the Israel-Hamas conflict. But you wouldn't obviously have anticipated this. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, we did not expect, especially the Houthis uh, sending cruise missiles to attack merchant shipping uh, exactly at that location at the entry of the uh, the Red Sea. Uh, but what we already anticipated uh, in the beginning of October, uh, right after the beginning of that conflict between uh, Israel and, and the Hamas, was that this will lead to increasing uh, tensions within the regions that obviously also uh, might have an impact onto uh, commercial shipping um, in that region. And it turned out that this is exactly what happened, right? Significantly impacting civil or merchant traffic in that area. So in that sense, this is one of the things that we anticipated. Manoj, many shippers are now taking a detour via the Cape of Good Hope. How much longer would that take? If the cargo or the vessel has to be rerouted via the Cape of Good Hope, from India at least, it takes about seven to eight days of extra days of steaming to the Europe and about 10 to 12 days of extra steaming to the US. And that would escalate transportation costs by 20% to 30%? I don't know about 20-30%, but just look at it like this, you know, a charter rate for a daily basis for a container ship is somewhere in the region of forty-five to $50,000. So the rates going up is nothing but a factor of the cost going up, right? Correct. If a vessel has to be rerouted via a longer distance and it ends up paying more in bunker costs and the other operating expenses, obviously and naturally it's bound to reflect in an increase in cost, freight cost that is. And let me be very frank with you, at the end of the day, who is going to pay for the extra costs? It's not shipping companies or the shippers, that is the exporters and importers. Obviously, it's the consumers across the globe who are going to pay for the extra costs. Exactly, exactly. And Christian, shipping prices have already been inching up in the last few weeks, right? Yes. Uh, so we uh, we look at uh, both freight rates. So that's the cost that you as a shipper or freight forwarder have to pay uh, to the shipping line to actually move your container, for example, from China to Europe. And we also look at container prices because on exchange you can you can essentially do both uh, things. And on the on the freight rates, um, we've seen an increase of uh, up to forty percent since the end of last month. So over the last uh, 
three, three and a half weeks, we've seen freight rates increase by 30 to 40%, so quite significantly. And those are spot rates, of course. And on the uh, container trading side, just over the last two weeks, we've seen an uptick in container prices, so secondhand container prices, especially in Northern Europe, because uh, yeah, the industry expects uh, some form of tightening of supply because the region is notoriously more import-focused, so more containers are arriving from China than are uh, sort of departing again. And so container supply heavily depends on uh, the influx of, of containers. And if there are disruptions in the Suez Canal, for example, it leads to container scarcity. And because of high security concerns, obviously insurance costs would rise as well. Yeah, of course. That, those are the, the so-called sort of war risk uh, premiums that uh, insurers charge uh, to, to the vessel owners um, if, uh, if these vessels are deployed in in war or close to war war areas. Usually these are quoted as a percentage of the vessel value and then ultimately have to be borne by the ultimate shippers of containers. And that will add further cost levels on shipping and, and freight forwarding through, through that area. So Manoj, if this goes on for more than a week or say two weeks, the delays in shipments uh, because of all the detours that the shippers are having to take will obviously make those in the trade like say exporters, it'll make them rethink their manufacturing cycles, right? Of course, they have to. They have to realign their manufacturing, uh, you know, schedules and, you know, the timelines to suit these extra costs. Those are some of the things that will now happen in the back end, in, you know, the supply chain gets rehauled and all that. Okay, now, Christian, industry experts are drawing parallels between this and an incident in 2021, wherein a Taiwanese ship called Ever Given ran aground and that caused a week-long disruption in the Suez Canal which really impacted trade across the world. But, I mean, of course that was different because freight and shipping rates were already high due to COVID. So, how would you draw parallels between this and that? I mean, this incident and that and what would you say are the similarities between this disruption and the one that happened in 2021? And what are the differences? Yeah, very good question. So back then, so that was 2021, height of COVID and the Ever Given, uh, yeah, essentially blocked the Suez Canal for an extended uh, period of time. It's very, very difficult to isolate the price impact of that disruption, of that closure of the Suez Canal back in 21, because we already had a significant disruption of uh, world trade. Uh, we had uh, vessel shortage. We had uh, container equipment shortage. We had disruptions in ports and terminals, which essentially drove uh, transportation costs up by a factor of 10x uh, over a relatively short amount of time. And then the ever given was just sort of the cherry on the top. And it's very difficult to isolate that, that, that price impact. Which brings us to a very pertinent question, right? Is there any tangible impact of the current problem on global trade? Tangible impact is yet to be felt on the ground as of today. What happens tomorrow or day after, one cannot say, because, you know, the more it prolongs, it's definitely going to have an impact. Shipping lines will start levying some congestion surcharge or some other kind of surcharge, and they will put it on the container, and then, you know, people have to pay for that. Like, for instance, you know, container shipping services are done in a kind of a consortia where, you know, two shipping lines come together to run a service. Because, you know, a single uh, line offering a service, it's not common in the industry. So when you have a 56-day round-trip voyage from, let's say, from India to Europe, 
And uh, this 56 days require eight ships. And if suppose the round trip is 63 days, it requires nine vessels. So if because of this issue, if they have to reroute via the Cape of Good Hope, that results in extra days of steaming of about maybe four weeks or more, then they will have to add extra ships into the loop. Or where will the extra ships come? They cannot, you know, immediately find extra vessels for that. So that could result in blank sailings. Blank sailings means they will have to miss a terminal. So that exporters and importers export boxes will be stranded. So that is one. Secondly, that ships will miss a loop window in some other port in that service. So that is another impact of this whole issue. Plus the fact is, the more it prolongs, the more it's going to, you know, uh, the repercussions will be felt down the line, maybe three, four, five months. As far as India is concerned, the last quarter, that is from Jan to February, is going to be the peak period for India's exports. And the lack of capacity at that point of time will hurt India's exporters. So the more this is brought under control, the better it is. So Christian, do you see a long-term impact? Do you see the price rise trend continuing? Actually, we don't anticipate that this price increase or this price bump uh, will last very long. Right now, what happens is the main container operators are rerouting their vessels around the Cape of Good Hope, adding around about 12 days of voyage time. And that will soak up about... 1.4 million to 1.7 million of TU vessel capacity out of the market. And that's about 5% of the total vessel capacity that's in the market. Right now, however, different to COVID times, we don't have any shortage. Quite the opposite. We have massive oversupply of vessels. We have massive oversupply of uh, container equipment. From a carrier perspective, just reduces a little bit of the problem of why rates were low in the first place. And that's this big supply demand imbalance. And we believe that over the midterm, either by just general price uh, price pressures and supply uh, supply overhang, which will still persist, or actually by International Navy stepping in and, and, and protecting merchant shipping in, in the Red Sea, the, this price bump will dissipate again. Uh, will be removed again, will fall down to shipping rates that we've seen three, four weeks ago. In India, traders and shippers have been affected too. Here's Sunil Vaswani, Executive Director at Container Shipping Lines Association, an Indian lobbying body. Anirban, as you're aware that uh, during the COVID period, you know, the, the shipping lines did face challenges then. But we rose to the occasion because, of course, at that point in time, our ships were blocked because of the lockdown in several global ports. And uh, the demand was heavy due to which we had to deploy additional capacities, which we did. And over the last uh, couple of years, we increased our capacities, bought new ships, introduced new services just to help the supply lines. And we did supply chains and we did all that. And today we have this issue, unfortunately, about the situation in the Red Sea, where about a couple of our own ships container ships have also been attacked. And uh, so this has been a matter of concern for us. And we are forced quite a few of our services over the Cape of Good Hope. So clearly Indian traders, exporters and shippers uh, or those going via India, originating from India, aren't insulated from this. Sunil, can you, can you give me a sense of the overall expected impact on Indian container trade? As far as India is concerned, uh, our throughput for 23-24 by the time we finish on the 31st of March, is expected to be about 18 million TUs. 
and this will be broken up almost evenly between imports and exports. Imports will be slightly more. As far as imports are concerned, uh, most of the imports are from the Far East, and there we import practically all, all kinds of things, right? electronic components, auto parts, uh, some chemicals, and the exports are mainly to, to the West. You know, and there is there's some certain amount of exports that go also to the to to Latin America. So as far as India is concerned, we are definitely concerned about exports that move to the West, to Europe and the US. So we have been forced to divert our uh, services uh, to a great extent. But as of now, it's a matter of concern, and we have taken steps to ease the process as far as the supply chains are concerned. Several others share Sunil's concerns. Arun K. Garodia, chairman of the Engineering Export Promotion Council of India, told me that if this continues, import costs of machinery and spares could increase between 20% to 60%. India last year imported 16 million tons of edible oil, of which only 1 or 2 million tons of soya oil passed through the Suez Canal. So the direct impact on that segment won't be huge. Manoj, so let's talk solutions now. What are the short-term solutions that ship owners are working on? Also, you know, since the Suez Canal is fast becoming a problem area, there need to be some long-term initiatives as well, right? So basically, first and foremost, what they can tell their buyers is that, look, please factor in the extra days of steaming. Your consignment will be delayed, you know, and they also understand that. Second most important thing is that this is, as you rightly said, this is happening a little too frequently now in that passageway, in that waterway, in around that area, because it's prone to so much of geopolitical tensions and, you know, whatnot. So I think, you know, the global trade and the global, you know, leaders need to look at some alternatives, you know, to find out how to skirt this issue if these kind of things keep happening. It is in that context that India's recently, you know, announcement of this IMEC corridor, India-Middle East-Europe corridor comes into play, where, you know, you have an alternate route to send the cargo as far as India is concerned and also the countries that are signatory to that. So that is one way of looking at it. Second way, most importantly, is that, you know, there is also a lot of talk about near-shoring. Near-shoring. Near-shoring means, you know, instead of going a long distance, I mean, if you have your manufacturing bases and your supply chain nearby, then this type of disruptions can be minimized. So that is why India's manufacturing, India's bid to become a manufacturing hub, it can play a big role in the whole of Asia. And we can avoid transiting that route, you know, because it's only shorter distances. We need to have near-shoring as a possible solution you know, to deal with all these things. Christian? To be honest, I don't think so. So over the past, and especially also during COVID, there were this discussion around near-shoring, French-shoring, uh, reshoring uh, of production. And we do see some with production facilities and capacities moving out of China into Southeast Asian countries, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just, it, it takes very, very long because it's, it's actual infrastructure investments that need to be made, and those just have a longer investment horizon. You can't just flip a switch and then uh, your product suddenly comes from Vietnam instead of China. Um, in many cases, this is not possible. And also, I think it will never be the case that this uh, re removes the need for transportation capacity, because right now what we see with production facilities moving out of uh, China and into Southeast Asia, this actually increases 
the need for shipping capacity in that region, in the intra-Asian region, uh, because uh, you have more semi-finished goods that need to be transported to be then assembled somewhere else before they then are being shipped to the end market. Let's move to another aspect of the issue. Now, geopolitics is a massive aspect of the whole conflict. The attacks by the Houthis have direct relations with the Israel-Palestine war, which the world, led by the West, is trying to control, even as there are no signs of conclusive peace talks. What is the relation? Like I said, the Houthis are supposedly supporting Palestine, and this is an attack against Israel. I asked Commodore Uday Bhaskar, a retired naval officer and our third guest, how he sees this as an intersection of geopolitics, trade and security. I think you're right in describing it as being at the intersection of regional geopolitics and international commerce and the larger issue of maritime security. I think all three have come together in a very unintended manner. And the first, of course, is the geopolitical context. The Houthi group, which is one of the most marginalized in terms of its own relevance in West Asia, has now brought the entire Israel-Palestine issue back into focus. And at the moment, I describe this as a mini-crisis because of the impact it's had on global shipping. But the potential for this, for this to escalate is reasonably high, which is why I think we have to see how the global community is going to deal with the challenge that has been posed by these Houthi attacks. Now, it makes sense to take a step back and just understand who are these Houthis. The group was formed in the 1990s as a movement to promote the Houthi tribe with roots that date back centuries in Yemen. In 2015, Houthi fighters seized Yemen's capital, Sana'a. That triggered more than nine years of war between the Saudi-led coalition, which backs the internationally recognized government, and the Houthis, supported by Iran. The Houthis are backed by Iran and oppose U.S. and Israeli influence in the Middle East. On October 31st, the Houthis entered the war in Gaza, firing drones and missiles at Israel. Earlier this month, the Houthis said they would target all ships heading towards Israel. Now, the Houthis are extremely well-trained and sophisticated in warfare. They have really advanced weapons, including a giant anti-ship missile arsenal. Kaurav Bhaskar, you describe the Houthis as marginalized in terms of their own relevance. And, and that brings me to sort of a very basic question. What is the intent of these attacks? Because, I mean, if you look at the numbers, the impact of these attacks on Israeli ships is fairly minimal. Well, to the extent that one can reconstruct it, you can see that the Houthis have been making these statements and saying that they are targeting any ships that they perceive to have an Israeli link. So the current political objective, as I can read it, for the Houthis is, I think, to target any ships that they believe have got an Israeli connection, which can even be the crew or the captain or the ownership. But clearly they have identified some big targets and have, I think, put out the equivalent of the uh, first benchmark in terms of what they can do to disrupt international shipping in those waters. So the signal to me is political. So coming to steps to tackle this problem, 
The US has launched an initiative called Operation Prosperity Guardian to tackle this. It's a multinational security partnership wherein 10 other nations including UK, Bahrain, Canada, France, Italy, Netherlands, Norway, Seychelles and Spain have signed up. But then this is also a fine balance between protecting the vessels and their cargo, launching an offensive on the attackers and maintaining overall geopolitical relationships. Commodore Bhaskar, how do countries maintain that balance in such a situation? You know, this is a new challenge I think for the global community because in the maritime domain we have a precedent which is that in the recent past we had the Somali piracy issue. If you remember this is around 2007-8 which means it's about 15 years ago that was a serious issue when it happened in terms of disrupting global maritime commerce and the same thing happened it took some time for the global community to respond but in the meanwhile there was a disruption prices went up shipping had to be diverted insurance rates went up india was an affected party because of proximity and progressively the global community put together a task force to deal with piracy and it proved reasonably effective in the first year since everyone got their act together and there was a political kind of division of labor all the major countries with navies and coast guards were present over there and there was as i said a division of labor the united states had one cluster of ships the eu had another and china decided to operate independently india was part of the effort that the global community was doing so we have that template but there is a big difference which is that this time around the houthis are mounting the kind of attack and using ordnance which is normally associated with a nation state not with a non state entity which is what the houthi is so that is the challenge that today the united states will put together a task force the point is whom do you attack to preempt the attack until and unless a drone is launched or a missile is fired it would be difficult for the united states or any other country to actually act in what you might call as a preemptive manner and where the houthis are based in yemen it's also going to take the war into that part of the region and the houthis have already warned countries like saudi arabia and uae saying that if they get involved their own oil facilities and assets would be targeted so there's an anxiety for instance with for countries like saudi and uh, uae now anything that disrupts the market in a big way will have global repercussions so i think the united states will also have to proceed in a very calibrated manner and what role do you think a country like india can play well i think india should definitely be part of the deliberations because not only are we an affected party we are a large trading nation so is china and i think if india and china want to really be reckoned as credible players both of them i think should use whatever influence and assets they have even in terms of talking to the iranians if need be because today india and china have greater access to iran in terms of a dialogue than countries like the united states of america and therefore i think there has to be some consultation and consensus about what is it that should be done to deal with this and to the extent that iran has been identified as a country that has influence with the houthis getting them on board i think would be highly desirable and necessary within asia this is an asian problem india and china consider themselves to be heavyweights so i think they should demonstrate that they can do some heavy lifting and get their feet wet and their hands dirty as it were in terms of dealing with these issues and not wait for the us led west to deal with the problem okay finally geopolitically and in terms of warfare how do you see this panning out do you see it becoming worse before it gets better 
I fear it will get messier before it gets better because I think the Houthis also feel emboldened now that their actions have brought attention to what is happening in Palestine. Because I think we can't forget the context, you know, that is the trigger for this entire thing. So we have to see how the Houthis are going to be brought to the table. There is talk about some of the regional players encouraging them to set their own kind of expectations from Israel. But my sense is that it will get messier in terms of delays, disruption, before there is some kind of clarity about the way ahead. Bab al-Mandab, the strait which is the centre of this whole conflict, means the gate of grief or the gate of tears in Arabic. It derives that name from an earthquake long, long ago that made this strait a stretch of separation between the Arabian Peninsula and the Horn of Africa. The earthquake also killed thousands of people. Whether today and in the coming weeks, this becomes a gate of grief for global trade and the world economy, or is hopefully reduced to a misnomer, will be interesting to see. That's it for today. You were listening to this episode on The Morning Brief. It was produced by Vinay Joshi and sound designed by Rajas Nayak. Do listen, share and subscribe if you liked it. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday on a listening platform of your choice. Keep listening. This is your host Anirban Chaudhary signing off. On behalf of The Morning Brief team, I wish our world of listeners better times and a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description. 